pleased to be joined by Jez Green. Jez, thanks for joining us on the ATP podcast. My pleasure. <laughs> we've, we've spoken a couple times in the past, and we all know your experience with fitness and strength and conditioning, and now you have a new project. You're now working with Sebastian Corda. What in particular excited you, excited, was exciting for you about this partnership with Seb? Um, a few things. Um, I've been pretty lucky with the projects I've had in the past, and uh, like uh, with, with Andy and Zverev, these are really building projects, so that's what I kind of get excited about when you get a young player who is exciting and you've got to build him. He's obviously got a really big game, he's got a really interesting frame, he's 6'5", he's young. So you've got, to, you've got to kind of put him together from the inside out um, and, and it's quite exciting to, to, to have an opportunity to do another project like that. But the other thing was also the people around him. You know, as you do a few years in this sport, you realise that the team is, is incredibly important and he's got, he's got a really good team of people around him. Um, and then you know that the project is, will be more exciting because you've got expertise, not just on the physical, but you know, on the tennis side and on the physio side and the management side. You know, it's, it's really important that everybody kind of has the same vision. And for example, why is that so important in your opinion? Because obviously the physical part of the sport is so important. Do you feel like that's helpful emotionally as well? And do you feel like emotionally, the emotions can affect the body in particular in your experience uh you mean the the team around him was yeah like yeah we'll I, start there yeah. i just think it it in a really good team uh, going forward and building a player it's about integration so if everybody's like exceptional at what they do and you can work together and you integrate around the player you know, suddenly there's no gray areas and people don't you know everyone makes mistakes but you minimize the mistakes because everyone's got their area covered and you know what everyone's area is, so it's that it's that it's that true cohesiveness and that integration that you want in a team. And, you know, and conversely, if if there's a if there's a gap or hole in the team, it, it can it can mean when you know even if people are going to, doing a good job, more mistakes can be made. You know, it's not always it's not always on purpose. We just find these gaps cause problems. Mm. So. You know, when, when everyone's together and everyone's knowing exactly what the vision is and everyone's doing their part and everyone's connected around the player in the middle, then that's your best chance of, of kind of success in a way. And you mentioned in the beginning the experience that you've had with Murray and Zverev and you worked a little bit with Dominic Team as well, yeah, yeah, correct? Yeah, last two years, yeah. What exactly did you learn from each one of those that you feel like has helped you gain more experience, access and be able to help someone like Seb now? Um... Yeah, that's a good point. You, you you learn from obviously obvious things like different body shapes, different game styles. You, you're trying to you're trying to piece your your physical program so it matches their personality and their way of playing. And you know, Andy, Sasha, Dominic, Seb, they all play quite differently. Actually, especially Sebastian, who plays a lot a lot earlier, a lot more close to the baseline. The other guys ran a lot more. He doesn't do that. Um, so you kind of have to match the the physical program to their game style and their personality. But also you realize that that in a really good system, the player will almost teach you more than you teach them because it's you know it's their ownership. They they own the program. It's their career. It's their sport. It's their life. So really 
they should start to instruct you what they want. I mean, someone like Andy was incredible at this. You know, that's why obviously as a part of why he was so good because he was so curious and so interested in how he could get better. And then he would, he would tell you how he wants to get better. Now, if you get that, then you're, then you're on something. So you kind of learn from the personalities and you kind of mold yourself into what the player needs and who they are, really. So you, you, it has to be different from each player. So with how Seb plays so differently, how does that change the way you approach his fitness or his conditioning? You, with him, he's going to tend to be a lot more specific. I think I'll do with the other guys who ran more and they, they, they were physically you know, a little bit higher volume. You had to do physically higher volume fitness. They had to run more. They had to be a bit stronger because they played long matches, you know. Um, and Sebi plays short points, so much shorter. I mean, Dominic team also, he played a little bit further back, so he played, you know, long points. He has to be really well conditioned for those, for that almost endurance, right? Um, Sebi is shorter and sharper. He's up the court, he's quicker, he plays quicker points. So so his is going to be about about movement, about, about speed, you know. So he's going to have to get stronger, yes. He's going to have to get more stable, yes. He's going to have to have some endurance, yes. But, you know, he's not going to run as far as certain other players. So you can look at speed more. Speed and movement is going to be, is going to be what we're going to focus on. And I, wa- I also want to ask about, because he's, he's so young, still mm. 20, just 22 years mm-hmm. old, um, but he's had a few, a few injuries. Mm-hmm. So when you take on a project like this, how much do you first, like, assess? And, I mean, I, without going into too much specifics, I, I know you don't want to reveal so much but to be able to handle those type of injuries in someone so young and to have to have a program to, so he's actually healthy which is one of the most important things how do you go about that yeah you got to know the background you got to know um you know why the injuries have happened what he's done training wise in the in the two years before that because there's always lead-ups to these things um who, you know who he's worked with. Speak to speak to all the team before you kind of start the job to work out what he's been doing and, and where you can fill the gaps in. Um, normally, you find like with Sebi, he's just had certain overuse, so there's nothing structurally wrong. That's also I mean, if there's, there's different. If there's something structurally wrong, then that's a bit of a different conversation, you know. But if there's nothing structurally wrong, it's just overload. Then you look at the program and see where the overload is happening. You know, <laughs> you know, you look at technique, and you speak to the people around him. And if necessary, like we've done here, you know, he's got a he's got a great physio, traveling physio, Steph. And then we brought in Mark Bender, who has worked with me with Andy. You know, and is a, is a is a highly experienced tennis physio. Um, so then you have the medical covered. So we look at someone like Mark who can tell us, okay, this is why this is happening. And you need to look at this load, this technique. I'll do this in treatment and I'll minimize that. that that's why you have, you know, especially these days when the sport is so dynamic mm. and it's getting more and more dynamic to my eyes, you're going to need these medical experts to keep these guys healthy. And again, that's where we, we integrate. So. I've got to get them strong and Mark's got to keep them, you know, therapeutically healthy and we've got to work almost hand in hand to get that done. Um, but yeah, hopefully, like in Sebi's case, they're just, they're just young and his body's still developing uh, in, in naturally and in conditioning. And we just got to make sure that, um, 
you know, these overload type injuries just are minimized. You, you, you brought up a great point because you've been on the tour for a long time with Andy way back. Um, you brought up the point that dynamically it's changed so much. How much more demand is it physically on the body than when you maybe first started with Burry? Uh, I mean, <laughs> Andy was pretty demanding on his body. That's like, true. Uh, That's um, true. But I, it, I don't have like, I mean, I do have some facts and figures. I won't share them because they, they're, they're, they're difficult to find. But uh, yeah, I just think the game's getting quicker. You, you can see that I think what happens every generation watches the generations before and, and it makes sense that they try and copy what the really good generation did and then take it further. You know, someone like uh, Alcaraz, it doesn't take, you know, a genius to realize that he's, he's playing very fast and he's playing all court. He's playing, you know, through 4D multi-directional tennis and dimensional tennis. He's, he can play baseline, he can rally, he can serve volley, he can, he can approach, he can, he can counter punch. And, and if you're going to play like that all court, then you're going to have to be very, very fast, you know, uh, and play that early. So I think that's, he's, you know, I don't know, but my my assumption is him and the people around him have been watching, you know, Andy, Novak, Rafa, you know, Roger, taken all what they do. Then they've watched, you know, Medvedev, Zverev, how they play, Dominic. And if you put all them together, I think that's what they've been doing. I think they can do all of it. Um, and that, that that's really challenging physically. Uh, are there certain things you've taken from your time with Andy that you now apply to someone like Korda? Uh, yeah, obviously they're different bodies, different game styles. But I think I, I think the number one thing you take from Andy is just this is just this real curiosity on how to get better. I mean, you know, it, I, I think he's. You know, I wasn't with the others, but I think his trait, even now, if you still look at him now, I mean, it's incredible. He still, to me, is just all about getting better and and the standard of, you know, and the, the love of the game, which has spoken to me a lot. It has to come from a love of the game, and and the the real dedication to getting better, even now, even one half a percent, that's what drives him. And if you get lucky enough to spend, you know, a few years with someone like that, it, it immediately, you know, upskills your own level. I mean, you know, so because you you just cannot accept lower standards. Yeah. So yeah. You can't because Andy wouldn't have let you do it, which makes you, you know, much better at what you do. So I think you take the, the thing you take from these guys is really good is the mentality, and then you put that into the physicality. But definitely, I think. You know, every body is different, but the mentality of someone like Andy is, is something that hopefully will be with me all, all, all my training days. And do you feel like you can train a player to be as passionate as you, <laughs> as you explain that Murray is? Or do you, do you feel like that's sort of innate? I think it's sort of innate. Yeah. I think you can, I think you can guide and show clues on how these great ones have done it. Um, but at the end of the day, it comes down to the individual and their mentality and what what it is they want to achieve. You know, it's you know, we're we're not we're not in control of the achieving. We have the goals and we help them being set. But the 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 real ambition, that deep driving ambition, has to come from the player. And and yeah, how deep it goes, you know, Andy's is someone like Andy is <laughs> is, is incredibly deep. But you know, it's up to the player individually. I think it, I think 
as confidence grows and they do the work, I think they can go down deeper than they think they could. That's a confidence thing. Yeah, how do you get there though? Confidence, confidence and doing the work. Yeah. You know, there's, there's a certain point you get to, I think, where you've had the experience, you've been around, you've played matches, you've won, lost, you've had some success and you've done a certain amount of work and you seem to go across a line you know, um, a guy called Alex Gretcher said once to me, he said, yeah, it's called, he, he called it breaking the bar. So that's an interesting way. You work underneath the bar for a certain type of time and you do a certain amount of suffering, a certain amount of matches, winning, losing, and you do something maybe you don't expect yourself to do and you break the bar and you go above it. And that's, that's when people start to, like, fly and get on a real mission. So I thought, yeah, that, that's kind of, I understand, that's what I've witnessed too. So, and, but I think that's very, very, very linked to confidence. I love what you just said there because it reminded me of a quote Nadal had where he's where he said you have to be willing to suffer. Yes, I've used that a lot too. You have Constru- used that a lot, yeah. And I added constructive to it uh, because suffering can be a bit melodramatic and a bit like egotistical in a way. So I, I call it constructive suffering. So you suffer for a reason. There's a purpose to it. You don't just go out and suffer for no no reason at all and do, do crazy stuff or take risks. These guys are, are too clever for that. So it's really constructive suffering yeah, around you know, being better. So I, 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 I couldn't agree more. Yeah, so it's constructive suffering, not only being okay to fail on the court, but also in your role, being willing to suffer physically. Correct. Because when you get to those three out of five set matches in particular, how much... Do the players connect with you with that as far as being willing to push that extra bit to suffer physically with you? It's an interesting one. I think I heard Novak say that tennis is 90% mental. Uh, and, um, you know, it's, a, it's an arbitrary figure, but I know what he was saying. E- everybody plays well. Everybody is, is very fit these days. So at the highest level, it really comes down to your mentality, at, at, you know, winning stamp kind of level. But the, the biggest compliment I get is, is 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 kind of a weird one. It's not like, wow, I feel feel so strong. I feel so fit. I can last all day. I can last ten five set matches. That's not what I get. And I can understand. I get, I go on court and I don't worry about my fitness at all. That that's when I know. I'm that's what you okay. get from your players. Yeah. Well, that's what I, I that's what I have got in the past, and, it, and that's what that's what's good. So when they walk on, and the match could be three hours or six and they have zero concern about their fitness, that's when you know you've, you've built them pretty well. So it's never really, wow, I was so fast that drop shot, or I'm so strong, or, no, it's, it, it's like, I don't worry about it. I go on court and I can just play tennis. That's when you know someone's That's amazing, yeah. yeah. So it's a bit of a reverse, that one, yeah. Yeah, I, and also, well, how do you know, because it's a fine line recognizing when you can push th- push a player through mm-hmm. a certain stage and knowing when they actually need to recover. Sure. I mean, you have enough experience to recognize that, but can you give us some pointers maybe on, on how you know when the right moment is to pull back or when you know you need to push through them? Yeah, some, some of it's, it is feel. That there's definitely a percentage of feel and experience. But also, there's, you know... What, I do consider myself in some small way a sports scientist. That's where my background was. So that's what sports science is there for. So things like um, variation of, of heart rate, um, uh, you know, these, this, this thing is a big indicator on overtraining. So if you, if you have heart rate variability, waking heart rate, you know, these things, 
these things really are a big factor on how the body telling you, okay, no, I'm fine, or no, we've got to pull back a little bit. So there's a, there's a few there's a few things there, but yeah, you know, numbers you hit, yours do these kind of semi-testing, uh, physical, and if they can't hit the numbers they normally are, you know, also they're probably going into overtraining, so you got to watch that. So it's kind of a it's kind of a con- continual cycle mm. about where, and then the other the other way, if they if you think they're tired but their pulse rate is recovering better than before and they look then you can go for it you, you can push really really hard and go no no I know you feel tired but your body's good let's go you got to go through this and are you one are, are you a pro- big proponent of the wearables yes okay massive, and so yeah. so you're obviously paying attention to that data massive massive, sig- massive, massive. massive. okay massive. okay yeah data um, that's pretty much your guideline it, it, it's yeah it's big that that's the one that that's kind of how I write my programs these days so because that's uh, relatively new correct it so is and it's relatively hard to get still so you know you know things like heart rates and 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 speeds on court and distances these are these can all be measurable now and I think not just for fitness but on their tennis practice you know so you can measure tennis practices uh, you know how far they're running how fast they're loading and then you can integrate that into their physical practices then you start to write your program you know and you know you, a lot of these good wearables will give you load information so if the load is is not where you expect it that's another indicator of you're getting your program right or wrong either it's too high or it's too low you know the, these load variables are huge so it's continual monitoring yeah no data for me I, I now even with experience I, I don't know how I could write a program now without, without a, a lot of data. Wow. And the coach too. You know, I, I, I like my coaches to be data orientated. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because I think it's just easy to, easy to integrate. You're not guessing. Simply speaking, you're not guessing. I don't like to guess. And so has anything, I mean, now that you have all this data in front of you, has anything in particular surprised you about your years of experience and work? Has anything been like, oh, wow, that's something that really surprised me as far as the way you write a program the, the, the or feedback that you've gotten? Not surprised because I know what these guys are capable of, but still, still force data, the force these guys generate, um, pushing off the floor, or stopping and starting, going into um, slight, slight secrets here. Um, but uh, yeah, basically forced data. It, people would be surprised what these guys can generate on a tennis court. What force they, 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 what physical force they can generate when they stop and start. What's been the highest? Not telling you. Okay, good. Okay. <laughs> I'll keep that a secret. That's amazing. <laughs> I mean, I think you can see it yeah. when you go watch them live. Yeah, you get an but, indication. But, but you can measure it. But you can actually and, measure it. And then it. if you can measure it, you can train yeah. it, right? If yeah. you can't measure it, how can you train it? Yeah. How do you know if you're improving? That's kind of where it's So going. would you push that? Um, I'm saying when you're training an athlete, would you push that trying even yeah. higher? So yeah. when they go on the yeah. court, it feels yeah. less? Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. That's amazing. Exactly. I'm loving this. <laughs> <laughs> now, last question, because um, I'm curious about all this data and how you train. And you're always looking for the next edge. Sure. Um, what... How has this pushed your brain to kind of look for more? Like, what, where does your research brain go from here? 
I guess it. I mean, it's not easy to get other people's data, but you, you, there's there's ways. But you gotta you gotta see where where these guys are gonna go. I mean, when I say guys, guys, guys and girls, I train both. Where 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 they're gonna go in the next few years? Like where force data is now, and where you anticipate it to be in three five years. Yeah, that's what now. I'm asking. Yeah. 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 Well, you got to make educated guesses. I mean, and, and I know where, you know, I know I've got, you know, <laughs> sounds long. I've got 30 years of force data now. So I know, I know force data, and I got really interested in it. So I know, I've kind of been able to get force data from even people like Lendl and John McEnroe. No way. You know, kind of like early stage estimated from clever people. And then you've got, you know, the Andy Novak Roger generation, Rafa, and now we've got, you know, this generation, uh, Carlos and, and Sebi. So I've got like, you know, 25, 30 years of force data and, you know, you can see where it's going. And how much know. has it jumped significantly? I mean, don't give me a specific number, but how, it, it, how much has it changed? It's difficult to really quantify because everyone's different and they play differently. So like Andy, you know, and I don't have everybody's data. So Andy created massive forces in in his in his deceleration but he had a, you know he's got he, he ran fast he played long points he has huge pair of legs he's a great athlete he's mentally pushes himself hard so i would see andy's is probably still relevant today and he's still competing you know with everybody so but if you take andy's and go that's got to be your minimum so if someone's underneath andy you know someone like that then you know you've got to push it but but it's also very specific to the player i mean Carlos is playing darts behind us. I, I'd like to get my hands <laughs> it's on. Pretty good. It's on, pretty yeah, good. Everything, I'd like to I get think. Carlos's force data, <laughs> and then I could tell you. So I have to try and <laughs> try and sneak that. That would be what I'd want. But uh, yeah, it won't be that easy to get. Yeah, that's, that's. I mean, I feel like I could pick your brain forever. But I know you have to go practice with Seb. Thank, Jez, thank you so much. You're pleasure. always fascinating to pleasure, talk to. Pleasure. And until next time. Until next time. Thank you. Later.